The following episode of From the Point contains explicit language and behavior that may not be suitable for young audiences. Viewer discretion is about. Thank you. Final seconds in overtime. Here we go. Matt Webster passes it over to the Chris Haney. Oh, man, but he misses that one. Gives it over to Joe Gilbert. Joe Gilbert to Chris Haney. Back over to Joe Gilbert from the point, And he scores! Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Rebuild Years. I'm Joe, and of course, you're listening to From the Point. Where else would you rather be? So as we continue the story of the rebuild era for the St. Louis Blues, it's worth mentioning a few more stats that can set up the narrative for the 2006-2007 season. The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for the year prior. Again, the Blues finished with a 21, 46, and 15 record for a grand total of 57 points. Of course, that's the worst in the league as of that season and one of the worst seasons in franchise history. The differential between goals for and goals against was a grand total of 91 in favor of the Blues letting up the puck. They let the puck in for a grand total of 284 times as opposed to the 193 times that the franchise scored that season. Our power play was at the lower tier of the league with a percentage of 14.65%, while the penalty kill was also slightly below league average at 82.21%. The abysmal season also was witness to one of the worst attendance records in franchise history for the season. While I don't have official numbers, it was not too uncommon for Blues fans in the upper bowl to sneak down to the lower bowl to watch a game. Yes, the lockout across the NHL did a lot of damage, but the impact was multiplied when you had a team who was hitting rock bottom and was about ready to sell. On June 30th, 2006, the Blues made a move to solidify their hockey operations and the ongoing rebuild. The new ownership group that was led by Dave Checkets hired John Davidson as the team president. Davidson had a long and lengthy career as a player, personality, and executive with the New York Rangers. However, he started his career as a goaltender with the Blue Note in 1973 when he was selected fifth overall by the organization. He started his first two seasons behind the pipes for the Blues as well. Help was on the way, regardless of how the team would finish. Going back to the new ownership group, I really have to pay a little bit of credit towards what they actually were doing for the franchise. With the sale behind the organization, Dave Checkett's and company wanted to actually invest in this roster for at least some kind of stability within the franchise as this rebuild was going on. Going back to John Davidson, he really was the man behind the organization. Larry Plough was the general manager still, but Davidson was really the guy that was in the front lines. His gregarious personality also made him a constant face of the franchise in transition. And it was not too uncommon to see him do interviews or in the middle of a game, come down to the booth and talk to John Kelly or if he was on the radio. But I digress. It's basically 
still a valid point that Davidson was the face of the business operations of this team. The Blues were looking to avoid another disastrous season. So unlike the previous offseason, again, the organization went ahead and added players in free agency. Brought back from his recent Stanley Cup victory with the Carolina Hurricanes was centerman Doug Waite. Of course, he was a stalwart of this Blues franchise for many years, and his return added some viability. Dallas Drake was a pending free agent after this season, so there was a little bit of concern regarding his captaincy. So having Wade on this team to a contract beyond Drake's was actually a little bit of legitimacy. Adding some additional street cred was the addition of defenseman Jay McKee from the Buffalo Sabres. He had seen playoff success before, and he even reached the Stanley Cup final in 1999 against the Dallas Stars. Also added was yet another former Detroit Red Wings netminder, this time in Manny Legacy. He was known as a scrappy but undersized goalie. Eventually, he would help the Red Wings win the President's Trophy in 2003-2004 with a record of 37 wins, 8 losses, and 3 overtime losses. It was a one-year deal, but his time here would not just be a cup of tea. Other new additions in free agency were veteran forwards Dan Hynote from the Colorado Avalanche and Radek Dvorak from the Edmonton Oilers. So, of course, with gains, there's also losses. What were the losses in free agency during this time? We lost Patrick Lalime, Kevin Dahlman, Mark Rycroft, Jeff Hogan, Mike Zygamanis, Jesse Bolaris, and Dean McAmmond. They were all either aging veterans or players who had lost their way. So we basically said goodbye and good riddance to all of them as we were going forward and trying to rebuild with youth. But let's pump the brakes a little bit here. To say that these additions would help would be a bit premature. The notes struggled immensely out of the gates to start the 2006-2007 season. However, there was one sentimental game. On December 5th, 2006, the Blues retired number 16 for Brett Hull and raised it up to the rafters of the then Savas Center to a sold-out crowd. Unfortunately, the game itself would be a soul-crushing loss as the Blues were kicked to the curb by the score of 5-1 to one by the Detroit Red Wings. And you couldn't really put a bandage on this one because the bleeding was continuing to pile up. So less than a week later, head coach Mike Kitchen was fired by the St. Louis Blues. At that time, the team had a record of 7 wins, 17 losses, and 4 overtime losses. So this wasn't really the direction that the ownership group and management were looking for. And they went ahead and they wanted to switch gears. So enter head coach Andy Murray. He was immediately hired by the franchise upon the firing of the outgoing Kitchen. Murray was most noted for being previously the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. He was no stranger to rebuilding franchises with youth. In 1999-2000, his first season, by the way, as Kings bench boss, he led them to a second place finish in the Pacific Division and a trip to the playoffs where they would eventually be bounced out by the Detroit Red Wings in the second round. The organization was trying to bring his tough love approach to resuscitate their direction into a competitive squad immediately. And the results themselves would not take too long to come to light. While Murray would see the note lose his first four games behind the bench, the squad would eventually go on a tear towards the end of December, 
From the 19th of December 2006 to January 26, 2007, the Blues would win 13 of their 17 games, catching up their record to 20 wins, 21 losses, and 8 overtime losses. Still, this was quite the marked improvement for a pitiful squad who had no sense of direction. A majority of the season afterwards would be rather inconsistent, unfortunately. In the end, the Blues would finish with a 34, 35, and 13 record, which was a marked improvement of 81 points. However, there is a bit of a positive stat here. Goaltender Manny Legacy would post a 23-15-5 record in 45 games that he started, as well as a very respectable 2.59 goals against average, 5 shutouts, and a 907 save percentage. The franchise would also see some highlights in the scoring department. Three Blues forwards would net 20 or more goals this season. First and foremost was youngster Lee Stempniak. He was a product of the legendary 2003 NHL draft and he scored 27 goals. By the way, he also managed to play every single game that particular season. Up next was Big Walt, Keith Kachuk. He put in 20 goals for the note, and then Bill Guerin would lead the team in goals with 28. Now, unfortunately, both Kachuk and Guerin would be the victims of this rebuilding process, and they would be dealt at or close to the 2007 trade deadline. Defensively, the Blues were still rather porous. Their penalty kill somehow took a hit and was only at 79.95%, which is very well below the league average in any season. A good portion of the players, though, on the blue line had a negative plus minus rating. Now, as you've heard before, I don't try to read too much into the stat, but it is indicative of how a player or a series of players could potentially be defensively adept or inept. Barrett Jackman, however, would be the positive of the plus-minus rating, and that was pun intended. He would post a plus-20 on this particular season, and as much flack as I give him, his early portion of his career was really stout defensively. The Blues would end up making some moves to acquire picks at or near the 2007 trade deadline. This would be pivotal for the franchise as some of these moves resulted in players who were either longtime stalwarts or would be moved for key players in the 2019 Stanley Cup team. Let's start with a minor trade for a minor leaguer, however. On January 16, 2007, a fifth-round Blues pick would be sent to the Boston Bruins in exchange for a Stastny. Not the Stastny that you're thinking, though. It was Paul's older brother, Jan. The real bleeding, however, began on February 25, 2007. Fan favorite Keith Kachuk, a 20-goal scorer in this very season, as I mentioned, would be dealt to the Atlanta Thrashers for a boatload of picks and for a Glen Metropolitan which is basically the equivalent of a bag of pucks. A first rounder in 2007, a third rounder in 2007, a second rounder in 2008, and a conditional first rounder in 2008 were what the Blues received in return. Now, this condition for the first rounder in 2008 was if Kachuk re-signed with Atlanta. Now, this was thought to be nearly impossible as those conditions were never met and, spoiler alert, Kachuk re-signed here. Two days later, the Blues would make specific moves on February 27, 2007. First, the Blues would acquire a 2007 first-round pick, 
Fords, Jay Barable, and Billy Niemann from the San Jose Sharks. Unfortunately, this came at the cost of Bill Guerin. Last but not least, the Blues made a pivotal trade by sending defenseman Dennis Wideman to the Boston Bruins in exchange for forward Brad Boyce. Now, his name's going to come up a lot, and it's very important that the Blues made this acquisition. Moving on to some good news, three young players and homegrown products would make their NHL debuts for the Blues in 2006-2007. First and foremost was that first-round pick in 2004, Merrick Schwarz. He ended up playing two games behind the pipes, making his NHL debut. In addition, Roman Polak would open up shop playing in 19 games, but not netting any points and finishing with a plus minus of negative three. He'll get better though, don't worry. Most notably though, centerman David Backus would make his NHL debut as well. The 62nd overall pick in that 2003 NHL draft that I keep talking about. Backus would score 10 goals, contribute with 13 assists for a grand total of 23 points. He would finish the season with a plus minus of plus six as well. Now, of course, we have to get used to his name because he's going to come up a lot during this rebuild era and for years to come after that. And uh, it might have to also do something with him wearing a letter C. Eh, we'll get into that later. The 2017 NHL draft was pandemonium for the note. The Blues started off this draft with two first round picks. Somehow, though, they managed to leverage assets and they would end up with three first rounders as this draft went along. This starts with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, why do I say that? Well, they would trade for goaltender Vesa Toskala from the San Jose Sharks, there's that team again, for the 13th overall pick in the NHL draft. According to Blues management, the 07 draft was seen as very deep. So they would go ahead and proceed to trade their first round pick, ninth overall, to the Sharks for the 13th overall pick and also a second rounder. Prospects were the name of the game and John Davidson was intent on loading the system up with youth because the organization was in a dire need to acquire talent. However, in retrospect, this move would bite the blues in the ass. That ninth overall pick that San Jose acquired, well, it was then used to select centermen and their current captain as of this podcast recording, Logan Couture. Couture has basically been a tenacious playmaker for years and has been a constant thorn in the blue side during multiple playoff runs, specifically in 2016 and during the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs. With the 13th overall pick, the Blues then selected Danish forward Lars Eller. The Blues were far from finished, though, as they would move up to the 18th overall spot by trading that 24th overall pick, which was acquired from Atlanta, and in addition, a third rounder in this draft. The Blues would then proceed to take U.S. defenseman Ian Cole with this pick. The Flames eventually took a longtime stalwart of their franchise in Michael Backlund. After a span of six seasons with the Blues, Cole would be sent to the Pittsburgh Penguins on March 2, 2015, along with a 2017 third-round pick for another member of the Fable 2019 Stanley Cup roster defenseman Robert Bortuzzo. With the 22nd overall pick, the Montreal Canadiens would select their future captain, power forward Max Pacioretty. Now just imagine an all-American line of Pacioretty, Bacchus, and Oshie in their youth. Ultimately, the cold trade benefited this roster 
down the line with a sandpaper type of defenseman who dishes big hit after big hit and is a glue guy to whip even his own teammates into shape. Just ask Zach Sanford about his scuffle with Bortuzzo about a month or so before we ended up calling Gloria. In the Bill Guerin trade to San Jose, the Blues received a first-round draft pick in return, if you remember. So with this 26th overall pick, the Blues selected a big hit in David Perron. To say that his career with the Blues has been lengthy is an understatement, but he has also produced three different stints that have resulted in immense results. No matter if you're talking about a point per year season in 2021 or even hosting the Stanley Cup in 2019, this was a huge win of a pick if you really want to put it all together. Now, unfortunately, Perron has gone on to other pastures, signing recently a contract with the Detroit Red Wings for two years. Now, my money's on Perron returning and retiring a blue, if you ask me. As we head into the second round of the 2007 draft, the Blues had two picks and both of them were total misses. With the 39th overall picks, the Blues selected a Swedish right winger, Simon Jarmelson. Now the problem is that the 43rd overall pick was used on defenseman P.K. Subban by the Montreal Canadiens. Say what you will about him slew-footing players and having a hot dog personality on the ice. He was an electric, offensive-minded defenseman in his prime with both the Canadians and the Predators. The 44th overall pick that was acquired in the Logan Couture-Lars Eller deal would end up being another bust as the Blues selected right-winger Aaron Pauliget, who ended up being, again, a career minor leaguer. Boo. If you jump to pick 61, the Los Angeles Kings selected power forward Wayne Simmons. Now, here's another missed opportunity, as I think Simmons would have been a perfect fit on a rebuilding squad that was aiming for heavy defensive hockey. But if you really feel bad for the Blues, you shouldn't, because the third round of this draft was fruitless for everybody. The Blues would select centerman Aaron Sony. I believe I'm pronouncing that name right, it could be Sone with the 85th overall pick. However, considering that the Los Angeles Kings took defenseman Alec Martinez in the fourth round with the 95th pick, that's still a heavy miss for the Blues. Martinez is still a top four defenseman with the Vegas Golden Knights, but also happens to have some glory as he scored the game-winning goal for the Kings in the 2014 Stanley Cup Final. One pick after Martinez, the Blues selected Cade Fairchild in the fourth round. In addition with the 100th overall pick, the Blues selected forward Travis Erstad. They really passed on some regular NHLers such as Dwight King, Justin Falk, and no, that's not our Justin Falk. That's a defenseman that played his career with the Minnesota Wild. Colton Severe, Keith Olley, and Matt Halischuk. On to the fifth round, and well, the Blues had no pick at all. That's no harm, no foul, right? Uh, no, wrong. With the 129th pick, the Dallas Stars selected one of the most punchable faces in the NHL, Jamie Benn. Now, while I say this in jest, he has been one of their most dynamic players in franchise history, a formidable force, and their current captain. But wait, there's more. With the 145th, First overall pick, the Pittsburgh Penguins selected a raw but eventual defenseman in Jake Muzzin. 
He's currently a defensive machine with the Toronto Maple Leafs and also spent a majority of his career with the Los Angeles Kings. In the sixth round, the Blues went ahead and selected a son of a former Blue yet again, this time defenseman Anthony Peluso. He would spend a majority of his Blues career yet again in the minors before jumping onto a different team and playing a little bit of time with the Winnipeg Jets. The pick after him, oh well. Speaking of St. Louis, it was a hometown boy. His name happened to be Patrick Maroon. We know how the story goes here. Of course, he would find his way back home, contribute to a double overtime game-winning goal against the Dallas Stars, and then proceed to raise his first of three consecutive cups. The Blues would also miss out in this round on Nick Bonino and Paul Byron, who have both had solid NHL careers. So to nobody's shock, the seventh round is usually hit or miss. Sometimes you can get some diamonds in the rough. Sometimes it could be nothing but a bag of hockey pucks. And the latter happened to the Blues when they selected Trevor Nill, a centerman, at 190 overall. Funny enough, though, the Blues missed out on Roman Polak door victim Justin Braun, who was selected 11 picks later. So speaking of Roman Polak, the subject of his trade tree was also selected in the seventh round. At 194th overall, the Toronto Maple Leafs selected Carl Boom Boom Gunnarsson. Now imagine a team where Polak and Gunnarsson were actually teammates. Well, of course, there wouldn't have been Billy Huso. So as we wrap up here, the 2006-2007 season and its succeeding NHL draft produced a lot of misses for the St. Louis Blues. However, considering that there were some developing pieces coming into their own, it was basically the end of the worst of the rebuild, right? Ah, well, the follow-up would not be as successful. So stay tuned for part three of the rebuild years as I'll discuss the 2007-2008 season and some of the duds that would eventually follow. Again, I want to thank you all for your support and your listens. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review purely for the algorithms that are related to this podcast. We want to make sure that this is accessible somehow in some way to hockey fans all over the podcasting world. So even if this five-star review is basically to tell me to go shove it, go ahead and still leave it. It will help everybody else out. If you like this podcast, hit like. Hit subscribe if you haven't. If you're new to this whole thing, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. And we definitely appreciate your support. And as always, don't forget to follow us on our socials. And if you're liking and subscribing to our podcast, you can follow us all at the same handle from the point PC. And that PC stands for podcast. So with that being said, I'm Joe. And thank you once again for listening to the Rebuild Years. And this was part two. Stay tuned for part three. And who knows, Chris and I may also have a future podcast coming up before this discussing whatever the hell we want to. I'm not going to mince words here any longer. So can I just get a let's go blues later?